0: Because, you know, I, I've been thinking recently, um, awesome. and this is something that, you know, for this, for, the, for your benefit, for our listeners' benefit, for the benefit of anyone who's listening, this is something that I've actually been kind of racking my reins over the last week or two, um, which is exactly where I want to, which is thinking about where I want to wind up. Yeah. Because one thing that's kind of bothered me the last week or two is there's been some talk, mostly on the Discord server, you know, you don't really hear this sort of thing. At the office so much, but there's been some talk on the NASA the NASA intern Discord server about how one thing we're going to be dealing with probably next year, especially, is budget stuff because well, the federal government is probably gearing up for maybe even some shutdowns coming up. If not, if, and if not that, then definitely some um, budget tightness because of fights on fights on Capitol Hill and stuff like that. And as that happens, you mm-hmm. know. It could affect things like, you know, what sort of work there is for contractors and how much pay there is for contractors and civil servants and all these things. So I'm like, Do I really want to get myself into this, even as much as I love working there and as much as I want to work there. It's it's kind of inspired me to keep my options open elsewhere. That's part of why I've kept looking like at places like the American Institute of Physics, the American Advanced Association for the Advancement of Science, Um I'm still looking at the, you know, the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab thing, well, all sorts of places.
1: That's not a terrible idea. I mean, all of my experience is within the Defense Department. So, you know, I know for DOD employees, they, um, it's, it's hard to, especially if you're in uniform, you know, you you can get kicked out of the military, but it's hard. And if you're out of uniform, if you're a civilian, it's real hard to get fired. Like if they have a warm body that can, if if the chair is warm, they'll keep you on. <laughs> <laughs> but with the NASA stuff, um, do they is is. is- It's it's not
0: so much about getting let go that I'm worried about that because I want I want to stress that it's not so much that I'm worried that jobs are like going to disappear or dry up although there is some of that going on right now for other reasons because there's like contract you know uh, shakeups that are happening yeah but it's more about like the stability of the enterprise because say I've got a project that I'm working on like about Mm. some mission say that I say that I'm writing about um. The Dragonfly mission, which is something that I have written about, something I want to write further about, maybe in the future, um, that I'm really passionate about. This this mission to send a probe to Titan. There's talk that it may get delayed because of budget cuts. Right. That because you know, where basically Congress Congress tells NASA to to, you know to to draw on its purse strings (laughs) because, as usual, they want to make a scene of being fiscally responsible to the to the, ta- to the average taxpayer by cutting you know a couple billion maybe from the budget of an organization that gets less than half a less than half a penny on your tax dollar
1: so <laughs> do you do you know do you know how big the Defense department is? yes like I Nick the Defense Department doesn't know how big the defense department is it's so wildly massive like, like they 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 just did their first agency wide audit a couple years ago failed miserably but celebrated the fact that they completed an audit mhm <laughs> they found like whole hangers full of like oh look it's jet engines how many hundreds you know like pieces parts oh look it's rockets look tanks you know, they're just they're just finding things. And I was thinking about this
0: yesterday on my way home. I think it was yeah. on my way home. Might have been on my way in, but whatever. On my way to to or from work yesterday, I might have mentioned to you at some point that on my usual route to the to the Goddard offices, I drive by a, Mar- a Maryland National Guard post and armory. Yeah, and you know. I always look at the Humvees and things lined up in their parking lot and I'm like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny how it's it's like that meme that I sent you where, you know, when civilians hear military grade, they think, (laughs) Ooh, good stuff. But when, but when veterans hear military grade, they're like, not good. Yeah. It's, it's so hilarious to me in, in a way that, you know, the military gets so much goddamn money and yet, so. in a lot of ways is still struggling to fucking make do in some of the most key areas. You wonder where the fuck is the money going? And then you and then I remember a conversation I had with my stepfather, probably like 10 years ago when all, when all the controversy at the F-35 first started hitting the fan about how oh, it's going like billions over budget. it's like it's a trillion dollar program, blah blah blah. And he, and he reminded me, Nick, I was in the Air Force. what you don't realize is that a lot of that money, is going into projects that we won't hear about for another 20 years. There is that. Because, you know, again, I, I could I could probably rattle off a whole bunch of memes because that's pretty much how I communicate these days. But there's one I saw just the other day, maybe on Tough Sci-Fi or on, Twitter, or on like Space Twitter talking about how, you know, people talk about how, oh, well, why are there so many UFO sightings in the United States and they're still going on today and they're still talking about these UAPs or whatever in, on Capitol Hill. Which of course, there's a whole another conversation we could have about that that we don't really need to. But Talk then you, but the, but the person, the person pointed out, the person making this post pointed out, you do realize that in the 1960s, the United States government was testing planes like the SR-71. So in the 2020s, they're probably testing things that look like these friggin' you know magic tic tacs that the those like F-18 pilots saw. So we have no way of knowing what they're testing because they won't tell us for another. Thirty to forty years, at least,
1: because right now
0: it's in testing. Then it will actually be, you know, in, in roll out, and it'll probably be classified for another two decades.
1: That makes a lot of sense. That that's that's a pretty plausible argument. I mean, I wish it was aliens, but uh, well, I, you
0: know, the thing that I was going to say that I didn't really want to get into, but fuck it, let's ahead. get into it, is something that I saw on Instagram this night. It was one of those like compilations of people's like Twitter Twitter posts and and Tumblr posts and things like that of people all talking about the same thing. And the theme was people talking about how, oh, the government says that aliens are real and yet the world is going to shit. So it's kind of convenient that the government wants to distract us with this new shiny thing, right? Well, the economy is in shambles and inflation is going through the roof and the sea is turning into a hot tub and the <laughs> forests are all burning. You know, we, we could just go on and on and yet, ooh, look, Mulder and Scully are right all along.
1: Mulder and Scully didn't have to worry about fucking poison clouds of air that came from exactly. like, the other side of the continent. Like,
0: See, where was that episode of the, the X Files? The poison cloud that never went away.
1: Oh man, oh man. Like, have you seen? I saw, I saw
0: a, a map, like an infographic map, just a couple days ago of all, of all the forest fires in Canada. It's friggin' ridiculous. There's like a, there's over a thousand active forest fires in Canada. Like the entire Canadian like continent or whatever you want to call it has fires on it. Like everywhere there's forests in Canada has a fire somewhere.
1: That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's... It's not
0: like, it's not like in California. I'm not trying to, to like minimize the sorts of wildfires we've had in places like california and other places out west because those are terrible they killed people they ruined homes and businesses and all these things but canada it's not like isolated incidents it's like the entire friggin country yeah, and it's, it's, really. it's insane
1: yeah it sucks well, that um
0: what's well, like one of the things that i saw one of the tweet one of the like i think screenshotted tweets that was in that instagram post i mentioned it was talking about how like you know, the, the ocean's burning or the ocean's, the ocean's boiling, the, sea, the forests are burning, inflation is through the roof, and yet everyday people are like, let me circle back to my last email. <laughs> but, you know, that's all you can do. We can, all we can do is keep on keeping on. You know, it's, it basically boils down to keep a stiff upper lip. As much as that may sound cynical, um, if we do anything less, we'll go insane and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll tear our hair out and, oh. and die, die of fright.
1: I don't think it's cynical. I think it's practical. I mean. Yeah. The United
0: States Department of Defense. Yeah. They're one of the biggest polluters and they're one of the biggest. And one of the one organization that's worrying most about pollution and climate change because they realize, for instance, uh, their their naval bases are going to be flooding in a couple of decades, if not within this decade. You know, there's a documentary I watched well i was interning at a film festival in indianapolis back in the summer of 2017 one of the documentaries that was submitted for you know possible screening was a documentary about how basically the entire city of newport news um, virginia is like r- regularly floods like you know the, the streets have have standing water in them like not even when it rains, it's like reg- just regularly, like it's 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 coming soon. And this is one of the places where there's naval bases and shipyards and stuff like that. And the Navy, especially, and you know this the Department of Gen- the Department of Defense in general, are realizing first of all this is going to cause problems for our logistics. Second of all, it's going to cause problems for our strategic stuff because people who are displaced by climate cat- catastrophe and water wars, you know that old buzzword, buzz phrase, whatever. That's going to cause problems for us and they're like how the hell do we deal with some of this and then you realize that the people the the people on Capitol Hill don't want them to talk about it it's like yeah. when NASA goes to do when NASA tries to do um, and I hate to name names here because you know, you know this is this is this isn't really a political podcast but You know, when when NASA tries to do like climate change research, people like Ted Cruz are saying, well, why is NASA even looking at the Earth? Shouldn't you be looking at space? And it's like, God damn it, dude. Get this through your head. We're trying to make sure that the Earth doesn't kill us because we're killing it.
1: I've always thought the ruling class has a vested interest in their own power. Mm -hmm. And it'll probably be to the point where things are nearly catastrophic. And they'll turn the great engine that is the department of defense uh, onto it. Cause I would say bar none, the department of defense is probably the most powerful single organization on the planet. Yeah. And, and it won't be out of a sense of nobility. It'll be at a sense of class protection Mm -hmm. and, you know, Maybe that's
0: that's probably what's going to take is when when the forest fires start burning down gated communities and when the oceans start when the rising oceans start flooding like gated you know ocean like beachfront communities that's when things are going to start to change because we know damn well that these frankly you know conservative rich folks don't care until it until it affects their bottom line and until it affects their like quality of life. Because if it's poor. just affecting poor people who are living in slums or who are living in you know middle class neighborhoods or whatever the hell you want to call it, any of these you know other any these, uh, social strata that are below them, they don't give a damn because no. they can keep they can they can keep going to the bank and they're you know they keep getting chauffeured to the bank and they can just roll up their windows and lock their doors and ignore all the rest of us who are screaming in the streets or whatever.
1: It's the Edgar Allan Poe poem, "The Mask of the Red Death." Are you familiar with yeah. it? i've heard i don't think i've ever read it but i've heard about it
0: and i know what i know The i know the basic premise it's yeah there's like people are going to keep celebrating right until the end
1: there's a plague that's killing all the commoners and so all the the royalty close ranks and they close down the palace and then just partying the palace as the countryside burns and as the plague kills everybody but then yep. they the, the mask there there's a um a man wearing a, a man wearing a red mask and he comes to the party and then he takes off the mask and it's the face of the red death. Right? It's a, it's a metaphor for no matter the thing that kills the commoners will kill the rich eventually, mm-hmm. right? And it's kind of a metaphor for that. Um, yeah. As
0: much as, as much as folks like Elon want to act like they can flee to Mars and escape Earth's problems, that's not happening anytime soon. No. So. And I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, being optimistic, you know, I, I'm yeah. probably more of a pragmatist than an optimist, but I still yeah. consider myself, a hope, an optimist when it comes right down to it. Um, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take the people with the money and the power to realize that their own asses are on the line too. And then they'll start leveraging some of that money and power to change things. It might, be, it might not be until it's like right down into the line. And there's probably going to be some pain. But that, that's probably what it's going to take because, again, at the, at the risk of sounding cynical um, and maybe being cynical at, at that, um, ordinary everyday people, you know, uh, recycling trash bags and composting, even if everybody does it, it doesn't necessarily make up for the fact that the industries and the organizations and the, you know, major whatever, whatever is that are run by these rich folks Aren't playing ball, you know. You look at the fact that the largest carbon, the largest carbon producers in the world, places like you know China and the U.S. and um, other places like that, they, they don't really give a shit. They're just sort of still pumping out carbon because they know they because ha- if because they, they know if they give it up, then they'll have to give up their quality of life. The thing that has to change is the paradigm has to shift so that cutting the carbon production becomes what saves their quality of life. People have said that for years. My astronomy professor at IUPUI talked about that when we were in his class, about how when the paradigm shifts, it'll become more profitable for them to make clean energy than it is for them to make um, dirty energy, basically, you know, not you know, un- unrenewable energy sources. And that's when things will start to change.
1: I do think that – I would disagree with you only that I think the individual does have a responsibility. Oh, Absolutely. With regardless I, I'm of saying they don't regard, regardless of because you have a responsibility to what you can control you have a responsibility to what you do and and it's the idea of like and this isn't what you're saying but I've heard this before from people that say well I mean the the big corporations are gonna are the biggest polluters so why should I even bother it's an excuse for nihilism mm-hmm. right it's so I'm I always hate nihilism yeah same i'm i'm always um i always guard myself against it and i try to insulate myself from it i try to find things that i can do to where you know i'm not going to you know move the needle with exxon mobil but i can compost Mm -hmm. and i can make sure that you know even if a lot of recycling just gets burnt into the atmosphere like 9% of it works out and that's great that's better than nothing it's not super great but it's better than nothing um a lot of its choices you can make real people can make a difference and they can shift the culture because i can't control exxon Mobil, but i can control what happens in my house yeah i can control the the purchases i make i can buy used goods you know i can make sure that um you know i recycle as much as i can i I buy used clothes all the time and and in doing that i can at least know that i don't personally or i am mitigating my contribution to the problem as much as possible and if that's all you can do then that's all you do and and that's more than enough if everyone did that if they came at life from that perspective and they just mitigated their contribution you know even 10% 20% whatever i think that would be tremendous and i think a culture shift like that because the people in charge the the people with the money they'll follow the they'll follow where the dollars go mm-hmm. And and yeah, no, that's point. not going to be everything, but the solution isn't one big thing. I think the solution is 100,000 tiny things. Yep. And so that's why I compost. Yep. That's why. That's I, a good
0: point. You make a very good point because it's, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, I was talking with some people on, on Space Twitter the other day about how yeah. you see a lot of times in movies, especially like movies, TV shows, fiction it seems like they're always picking just one type of spaceship to do everything. And that's not Mm -hmm. how it is in real life. You know, you look at the number of different types of rockets that different countries use, you know, you Mm -hmm. look at the the different types of spacecraft that are are launched by those rockets. It's, it's a smorgasbord. That's probably how it's going to be in the future. And if anything, it's going to continue to diversify as new forms of propulsion are tested out and, you know, put into practice and things like that. So the, I, then I'll, I'll get to the point I'm making with this in a minute but you know, like the, the the space flight infrastructure of 100 years from now will probably be 10 times as diverse as it is now if not more so especially because by then we might actually have people moving back and forth between the earth and the moon, maybe even Earth and Mars and the asteroid belt somewhat regularly. And the reason I bring this up is because it, to, to, your, to touch on your point um, with things like, you know, composting with things like recycling. If enough people do it, then the rich and powerful will realize, oh, this is popular. We can cater to this. You know, part of the problem is it's, it's the same thing as the voting problem. This is another analogy we can rise. You look at the fact that the largest voting dem- demographic in the United States is did not vote. You know, mm-hmm. If those people would just tune in and fucking participate, they might move the needle more than anybody else but they don't think their vote matters or they think their vote will be canceled out or something like that or anything or whatever and, and they and they just and they and they don't participate you know
1: here's and, here's how you get Americans on board you know the the segment of the population of Americans that um are paranoid preppers- mm-hmm. we'll call it 35 percent like paranoid just like, like, I'm going to be self-sufficient. I'm going to do what I want, and the government can't in and make me, right? Mm-hmm. These people, these are the people I'm trying to get to, right? And if you can make environmentalism, recycling, right? If you can somehow put that and feed it into that weird sense of independent paranoia, right where Mm -hmm. i'm gonna learn how to grow everything i'm going to compost i'm going to recycle right because it's poisoning the air it's poisoning the water because the industries the the people with power are poisoning the air and the water and so this is how i i I make sure i don't do that right yep you you get what i'm saying
0: yeah well it's it's because it's it's like um Again, I draw on yet another tweet or some such that I saw a while back talking about how the people who are often like that, the people who are preppers who want to stockpile arms and ammunition and like survival gear and stuff like that, they don't realize that that's not what's going to help you survive the end of the world. Because if the end of the world comes, you're not going to have power. You're not going to have yeah. like a way to produce more food. You're basically just going to have what you have stocked up and then you're dead. You're because gonna, you have no way to survive. The thing that's going to protect us from the quote-unquote end of the world, should it ever come, God forbid, is community um, – what's the word? Community – Gardens. Tanglement. Community cooperation, basically. Yeah. People being – people interlocking their hands on different, on different levels and different projects to make sure that everybody is taken care of. And making sure that everybody's fed making sure that there's like common farming and stuff like that and everybody thinks oh that's like socialism and stuff no that shouldn't have to be it shouldn't be seen that way it should be seen as things that are going to it's, it's it's an insurance policy against the shit that you're worried about if you're a prepper but nobody is a prepper wants to see it that way because the there's a myth of american individualism
1: there are a lot of preppers that have mutual aid groups right mm-hmm. now i did Throughout the pandemic, I digested a lot of a YouTube show called City Prepper. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good that came out of that. I learned a lot of things. Don't venture too deep into the comment section unless you're way into QAnon. (laughs) So just stay away from there because they have a whole like put on the horns and sort of the Capitol vibe. But no, it's there's a lot of people that I actually... Was invited to join a mutual aid group with preppers one time from an old National Guard buddy I know. And I said, no, thank you, sir, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I don't know if we're going to learn how to grow things preppers or a more, we'll call it intense flavor. You know, I don't want to like insult people, but see, the old
0: old tongue in cheek, I don't know if it's if you even want to call it tongue in cheek, it's not really tongue in cheek at all. It's right out there in the open. The sort of unspoken joke about preppers is that if you stockpile all this food and ammunition and other supplies to survive the end of the world, you kind of want to have to use it at some point. So you're basically like those freaking evangelicals who are like praying for rapture so they can go to heaven. It's like you're praying for the end of the world. What the fuck is wrong with you?
1: They're scared, man. Like, they they are a group of people that could really use some anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> you know, there's legitimate things. And, you know, 2020 was kind of a wake-up call for a lot of people, myself included. And I thought, oh, I need to have a response to any problem that's 72 hours long that I can handle on my own. Yep. Yeah. It's...
0: That's that's one thing that always gets me about it is people talk about the end of the world. They don't realize that, well, what are you talking about when you say the end of the world?
1: Well, I think it doesn't seem to be very well thought out on their end,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: a lot of it is, you know, we talked about how conservatism comes from a sense of scarcity mm-hmm. and if the world is scared you know if, if if the world is very much a zero-sum game and your whole world is, is based around scarcity well the end of the world means things are more scarce yeah that's i would say they the the more intense preppers would have a hard time verbalizing it that way maybe or maybe they wouldn't talk about it that way i don't know but I'm kind of extrapolating from my own experiences, my own upbringing and stuff Mm -hmm. where that you just less access to resources or no access to resources. And, but I, I just to uh, circle back to environmentalism to protecting the environment and stuff. I think, I think if you, I think if you introduce environmentalism, as a way to protect individuality. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's that's exactly what I was gonna say. Actually, and <laughs> and I'd, I'd actually forgotten about what the original topic was. So I'm back to it. Because that's yeah, that's really the only way to do it. That's the best way. And obviously, your point is that's how we bring the batten down the hatches folks aboard. But it's really the best way to do everything. It's it's really the best way to solve all these problems. Cause if you can if you can turn a... If you can turn if you can find a solution to the problem and then turn that solution into an agenda, then mm. you've then you're then you're cooking with gas. An uh, agenda
1: that everyone can get behind. Yes. An and... agenda that
0: people can actually pick up on and 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 feel connected to and want to take part in because they feel like they, they they can identify their role in it, you know. Again, if you're if you're one of these even an intense prepper as you call them, you know. Making it so they understand, making it so they understand that you know hiding in a hole is it going to protect them from the world, but protecting the protecting nature and and the world, so that we don't have to hide in a hole. That's the best way to do it, because you know, like I said, and, and to a certain extent, you know, it's kind of circling back to what we said earlier about how it, it breeds nihilism. If you think the mm-hmm. world is going in to end, well, again, whatever that means to you, particularly, if you think the world's going to end within the next ten years, and you're just stockpiling canned food and bullets, um, you're not really doing anything to prevent the end of the world. Whereas, if you're maybe stockpiling stuff, but also trying to make sure that there's like you know uh, community aid and um, recycle, you know, common like you know, universal recycling and Whatever else you want you want you know, whatever other policies you want to implement to try and prevent the end of the world, such as it is, then you probably won't need to hide in that hole. It just becomes something you have in case like nuclear war breaks out, God forbid, or immediately. It could
1: be happens. a funny thing you show your grandkids.
0: Exactly. Because, you know, through this, that's happening now. You look at our grandparents, you know, you look at my parents, hell, my parents. My dad was born in 54. He re- he remembers the duck and cover drills, you know. Yeah. Um, my mom probably does too, I think. And, uh, you know, we we laugh at that now. Kids nowadays laugh at that. But we don't realize that for, what, 40 years, the world lived in fear of being blown up by nukes at the, the push of a button. And, you know, there were a couple of times that really came damn close to happening. Yeah. And, Nowadays, we look back at it like, oh, that was never going to happen. In hindsight, 2020. And we always think it was it's, you know, never going to happen. But first, of all, we got to get there. You got to get to where you can look back on things with, with fondness and, and and irony.
1: Yeah. So I think we solved the climate crisis. <sighs> um, and here's, if I can summarize it uh, it's first of all, it has to be more profitable to fix the problem than to keep it. Mm-hmm perpetuating the problem and also you have to that's on the that's on the big the big scale right unless you just flat out like take you know legislative action against those organizations that have bought congress um but to really fix the problem especially in america uh, which is a very individualistic country you have to sell it to them as a way to maintain your individualism because you will never be more dependent on an organization than if it supplies you with air. Like <laughs> if it supplies you with breathable O2 because the outside is too polluted. Mm-hmm. And so...
0: Just look at Total Recall for proof.
1: Yeah. There's um, there's a show on Apple TV+. Plus called extrapolations where the guy who did contagion worked with climate scientists to extrapolate hey what's the possible future that what might happen over the next 80 years Mm -hmm. to the point where people like san francisco is so polluted like you have to wear like a o2 mask to just go outside and people are uploading themselves into the cloud and having their bodies incinerated and stuff and it's shit is bleak man but um and, and that is a show, as a as a piece of science fiction, it's good, not great, I think. But, like, as just a general, like, picture of what might happen is haunting. Yeah. Um, and I think
0: that's, but that's the, the, the scary thing is that a lot of people look at bleak dystopias like that. Like, bleak future outlook, uh, bleak, keep saying bleak, uh, keep that at, visions of the dark visions of the future we've gotten so att- uh, um inured to them or whatever i don't know what better word would be so we've gotten so used to them that we look at them as just sort of a gee whiz thing right now we don't look at them as a cautionary tale anymore for the, for the for the average person you know the average person you show them soil and green they're like ha ha they're eating people that's funny it's like no, you don't realize in 1971 or whatever the original book was written. Because I think it was a book first, and when when this was originally written, people thought that the you know uh, Malthusian nightmare of there being like 100 billion people on the earth by the end of the century was possible, and or by the end of the 21st century was possible, and you know they're worried that there's not going to be enough to go around, like we said earlier. That's what people don't consider. You know, you have, that's another yeah. thing that we need to teach people is literacy, literacy to understand what these different lessons are actually having to t- actually have to teach them, because if you don't teach them literacy, they're just going to continue to, you know, munch their popcorn while the world ends. because they won't see the parallels between 1984 and the real world or, you know, Sorrent green in the real world or the show you just mentioned extrapolations and the real world and realize that, hey, there's things going on here that we don't like that we can take action to change in our own daily lives. Yeah. And that's part of why I do science communication. That's something we talked about a lot in my residency. Because the whole, the whole theme of the residency was science futures talking about how do we communicate cutting edge and advanced, you know, stuff into the stuff that's happening now that will continue to happen over the next 50 years or so. Um, and a big recurring theme was that it's basically a lot there's a lot of overlap between that and science fiction because what a lot what a lot of science fiction is especially near-term science fiction science fiction set as i like to say five minutes in the future is that it takes things that are happening now and says well what next you know some of the greatest science fiction ever has done other things you know star star wars obviously is a, is it gives a glaring example because it's not even set in this galaxy and it's supposedly set thousands of years in the past but others but on the other hand there are other other great examples of sci-fi that have done the whole you know what if this happened for another 10 years what it would it be like that's basically what this extrapolation to show is doing yeah. it's saying if the current climate crisis continues unabated for another 50 years what's life going to look like and you know the, the basic messages it has to say is we wouldn't like the way it it looked
1: and, and it would be people just kind of muddling through their yeah. day kind of like we are now except you can breathe outside usually yeah um
0: it comes back to the frog in the
1: boiling water analogy you know that's the scary
0: thing is that people just accept the way the world gets shittier and meme about it instead yeah. of doing things to make things better which is sad because we've become nihilistic we've become apathetic Um, I I, I, I don't want to get I'm not trying to get up on an apple box or anything but you know apathy and nihilism are are the death of humanity because if we become apathetic about the way the world is changing instead of getting at least passionate if not downright angry then we're not going to take action
1: almost everything in our house we got used you know
0: drive the zeitgeist
1: the phone I talk on is a refurbished phone that I bought Mm -hmm. from amazon you know it's you know, we buy some new things, but I drive a really old car. You know. <laughs> I probably I I probably won't get rid of it for a long, long time. Um yeah. You know, and 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 give yourself the grace to not be perfect, but celebrate when you're like, Oh yeah, you know, we kinda you know, we we, we grow our own food, we compost and, and you know, buy those hippie trash bags that like are made from like potato fibers and stuff mm-hmm. and not like you know uh, petrochemicals and so when they bio de- they biodegrade within like nine months mm-hmm. and they're compostable too. and so they um totally I think that's a symbol almost of how we fix the problem is the trash bag itself becomes biodegradable. And then one at a time, all the items in the bag itself become biodegradable, right? Yeah. But this sort of thing doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly. And eventually, if enough people move the needle, if enough people buy the thing, it becomes profitable for everything to become biodegradable. Mm-hmm. You know, like this this water bottle in front of me says a 100% recycled water bottle or 100% yep. recycled right. bottle. I'm assuming it's true. I have no reason to think Dasani is lying, but I'll be honest. That's the reason. Dasani. That's yeah. I know, right? If you guys want to sponsor us, I'm I'm open to suggestions. At which case, I will. At which point, I will take back what I said. We will cut this whole segment. But <laughs> Yeah. Know. I get what you mean.
0: that's yeah, it's it's exactly right because you know, um, it's like I said before.
1: Why well, I bought it. When, it's the whole reason I bought the bottle was because it's, I mean, I was looking for a water bottle. I picked the one that said 100% recycled. Yep. Anyway, you're saying?
0: No, you're fine. Uh, you know, it's, it's when the solution to the problem becomes profitable for those who are helping perpetuate the problem, Yep. then the problem will start to be solved. It basically yep. boils down to, you know, when enough people want biodegradable products and recyclable products and non-toxic products, all these different things, then it will be. Then the Green New Deal won't be some radical, and I, I, I feel that's because it's a buzzword, it's a buzz phrase. But you know, things like the Green New Deal won't be some radical thing that the Republicans point to as scary and bad. By then, they'll probably adopt 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 it for themselves. It's just like what happened with um. Give it another twenty years, when, like I said before, when the forest fires start burning down gated communities. And the rising oceans start flooding like private, you know, yacht clubs and stuff. Then we will probably start to see the Green New Deal be adopted by the right. And they'll be starting to say things like, well, here's how we can implement this into our infrastructure program that President such and such has. No. Um, Zuckerberg,
1: but yeah. Who? Zuckerberg, but yeah.
0: Oh, God. Please don't wish that into existence.
1: It's not Mark Zuckerberg. It's his clone. (laughs) How do we know he's not a clone right now? That's a fair point.
0: I saw, I know, I don't know why this brought me there. Have you, have you followed any of the, um, debacle of the secret war, the secret, a uh, secret invasion? Um, the show. And, yeah. Cause apparently it is, it has been getting dragged over the coals by
1: reviewers. Um, it's, I, yes, it's very watchable. It's not terrible. It's I'm two I'm maybe two or three episodes in. Apparently it does not have a good
0: ending, so I will set that up for you.
1: I mean, sure. But it,
0: the, the reason I bring it up is because um what was, why did I bring it up? God damn it. Now I've lost my train of thought just a second. We find that again. Um Lagerberg. Yes, there's 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 talk because you you understand the basic premise, right? That the scrolls have like infiltrated Earth and they've yeah. replaced certain people. Well, there's a joke in there. That, um, I don't know if you've gotten here yet, so I'm sorry if I've spoiled. Go something. I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it anyway. Apparently, Roadie is a scroll.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm on uh, there,
0: yeah. Like, um, yeah, yeah, Colonel James Rhodes or whatever is a, is a scroll. And there's a joke that someone did on um, Reddit or Instagram or. Twitter or whatever the hell, where it was it was a screenshot of the show where Martin Freeman's character, the like FBI agent or whatever, is in like it's it's sort of like that thing in Stargate where the episode of Stargate SG1 where the people are being replaced by doubles and they're yeah. all like they wake up and like the in this like hanging from the ceiling in, on in Stargate Command when their double is killed. Uh, Martin Freeman's character wakes up and he's like in this like harness or something and he looks over and says, Colonel Rhodes, how long have you been here? And you look over and and I can't remember the guy's name, but it's the actor who played him in the, your first Iron Man movie. Set
1: <laughs> you mean when they switched black guys? It's like, like Karen, no one...
0: Terrence something, rather. Terrence Howard. Terrence they Howard, just, yeah.
1: They just switched black guys, and they're like, no one's going to notice. Everyone noticed. But... Oh, man. that's That would be... That would be really funny if that's how they reintroduced Terrence Howard into the MCU. (laughs) Oh. I
0: mean, technically, uh, um, Robert Downey Jr. is not a part of the MCU anymore, so they could totally get away with it because that's the reason Terrence Howard left because he hated working with Robert Downey Jr. from what I understand.
1: All right, sir. Uh, I like this episode. It's going to be about environmentalism and yeah yeah, saving the world is not what I I actually recorded an episode like this I think last year is called Seeking a Plan for the End of the World Mm -hmm. it was a take on the movie Seeking a Friend for the End of the World I'm Clever Mm -hmm. where I kind of detailed my prepper journey throughout the pandemic Mm -hmm. but um, yeah this was good do you have any other thoughts about environmentalism and all that wrap up we've,
0: we've covered pretty much all the bases I mean that's basically what well, I'll just sort of sum it up by reiterating what we said already. The only way to solve the problem is to get multiple levels of people integrated. Like it's, you know, it takes people on the low, it takes people. And I don't mean lower level to say like, or not, not as important.
1: Micro and macro.
0: Micro and macro. Exactly. It takes people at all levels of society to be invested in the plan to save the world, you know, yeah. as you, as you would put it. Um, for those for the plan to work cuz it not only it takes people who are just recycling and composting but it also takes the companies that are putting out the products that they end up that are ending up being recycled and composted and so on they all have to be working together and if anything else one thing that we haven't really touched on we've sort of danced around it but we haven't really touched on it, is that one of the things that's going to solve that is just getting over our getting through our freaking getting over our thick egos Um, getting over this whole like this rugged individualist ego because as much as it is like part of the american identity it's also hurting us because you know when people think well i'm the only thing i'm the only person i need to take care of or maybe my like who my like small family is the only thing i need to take care of that hurts the country as a whole that hurts the world as a whole because if everyone thinks that way you've got 300 million people or however many you know um family masters or maybe like eight, you know, maybe 50 million people who are actually running a family or whatever you want to call it, or whatever the number actually is in the United States, you've got 50 million people who are thinking that they only need to look out for themselves and a few people in their immediate sphere of influence. And when everyone's thinking that way, nothing gets done. And I know it's not literally that many, because again, yeah. there's probably not that many people. And there's probably a lot of them who are thinking, you know, forward, who are, who are forward thinking, but we, we need to get more people involved in that. And that's, and part of the way to do it is like what you said is get the, get them and get them involved in, it in a way that makes it real to them. That the way they can help actually hasn't actually does something to
1: push the needle. Because if they don't find themselves invested in the solution, they won't even acknowledge the problem.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: And on that note, we'll end there. And we'll talk a little bit afterward for mm-hmm. the blanket fortress of solitude. I am Derwin. And I am Nick. And we will see you next Monday morning at 0700. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh,
0: I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I?
1: Once I stop talking, reality will collapse. Until someone plays this ad again, this isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? What did you think of that, sir? It's a lot different than what I thought we were going to talk about. I was going to talk about Chapter Eight, but I guess we'll do that next time. Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: So you are pl- you are planning on rewriting Chapter Eight, though? We will. I guess that's one thing we can talk about here.
1: I mean, yeah. About I noticed,
0: it. I've noticed as I've as I've, me, as I've been looking at um the document that the your most recent notes for Chair for Erebus are in, um the prologue is still at the front. And I, I and I and I'm yeah. not worried about that because I figured at some point you would either pull that out and drop it back in Chapter Eight, or you would just erase the prologue and replace and and slot something else in Chapter Eight based on what you said you were going to do, which is reworking an old version of chapter eight or some such
1: i'm gonna take an old version of chapter eight you did and kind of incorporate some of the stuff i did in the prologue and kind of well fuck it we'll talk about it here in the tag
0: sure just it's kind of a kit bash basically yeah it is you're taking yeah. you're taking an older version of chapter eight and yeah. you're mixing in some of the stuff you did in the prologue and then making huh. it's kind of like um Dialectics actually. That's because that is something that I learned in film class. So you take one thing, you take another thing, mm-hmm. you combine them and see what they inference from the two of them.
1: And here's kind of what I had in mind for this was um expanding the the scope of chapter eight. Mm-hmm. Right. To where chapter eight might encompass forty eight hours. Yeah. Because it becomes a short story almost all by itself. Yeah. Where idea. it's two days. And the first day sets up Janet's life on the fob. It sets up uh, uh, Pepper. Sets up everything. Right. Because the way chapter eight, the first draft, lots of telling. Mm-hmm. The way I did it, 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 lots of telling. or The prologue didn't quite work. Um, but if we expand a lot of it into some show, then you know, I remember life on a fob on a Ford operating base, and uh, I'll have to think about what it must have been like for a woman on the base because it was a lot different than my experience, mm-hmm. and so I'm gonna have to use some empathy there, right? I won't get you know deep in the weeds with or anything but i know there was 20 men for every woman sometimes you know that is a very very imbalanced ratio um you know and so they had their lives are different or whatever right i probably won't go too deep into it but i'll probably talk about that a little bit and a lot of it will be just kind of her life on the fob waking up, you know, doing p t whatever and and I'll definitely need you for a rewrite on that, yeah, to make it work with where they're at, because otherwise it's gonna be, oh look, they're in the desert, and it's sand, and you know, but it's Titan, and you know it's it,
0: yeah, the sand's made of uh ice
1: i I don't know the science. I can, I can, I can bring the, the, the experience though. Yeah. And
0: you, you bring the military experience. I've, I can either bring the science or I can find people who have the science.
1: There you go. And so that's kind of my plan. And chapter eight, the chapter eight rewrite will probably be the last fucking thing we do on this. And I'm, I love this book and I'm also kind of excited to work on the next thing
0: <laughs> little, to, little... this is what i was about to say i hope you love working on the next one just as much because we <laughs> probably have about a i won't say a, i won't say 100 because they in jest that even sounds daunting um but there's probably a lot more where this came from let's just say oh, yeah.
1: a lot of rewrites yeah
0: well and i don't mean i don't mean just rewrites i don't mean just in terms of rewrites but i mean like future projects like even oh, if yeah. we count the other two books in the Shadowplay trilogy and maybe the three books of the Darius trilogy and the possibly seven, eight, nine, however many books of the Frontier Wars trilogy. That's a lot of books.
1: Well, right now... The other
0: offshoot oh, yeah, books that I want to do and the short stories and God knows what else.
1: Well, right now, here's as far as I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. We're assigned to do two books. Yeah, That's as far... With books, that's as far as I'm thinking. Short stories are a lot easier to figure out.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, what are your thoughts of? Well, no. no you? I get what you're
0: coming. I get what you're coming from, and that's honestly, that's the smart way to do it. Because I, I don't want. It's not good to capture chickens before they hatch. I'm just, I just know yeah. that this is obviously what I've wanted to do for a very long time. Is same. It's, publish it's, these it's, books.
1: Oh my God, same. I, 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 love publishing. I love bringing a book to public to market. I love re- writing the book. Of yep. all the aspects of it um and it's I, like you know you've you've sort of touched on how like you you're so
0: you're so into you're so excited to meet some of my other characters that i haven't even introduced you to yet and i really am excited for you to get to meet them and for you to yeah. find out what they're about and find out what they're up to because you know there's there's characters again the main the ones that i'm referring to mostly are the, the three main characters that i've been playing with probably since like fifth grade and so well, here's
1: what i would say to that Realistically. Erebus comes on next year. Mm-hmm. Realistically, if everything goes really smooth, maybe Europa comes out 2025. Maybe. That's if everything works and my schedule doesn't become crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would... This main story you're talking about with these main characters, what do you have done on this?
0: I've gotten probably like, probably like I have about five chapters, maybe six or seven chapters written.
1: All right, I would finish it. Yeah. When I we just finish, to
0: get around to it,
1: I would, I mean, as your publisher, as your best friend, I would say realistically, We've got a book in us every two years. It'll yeah. take us two years to bring a book to market. And then, and that's if we're cooking, you know, I would say, yeah, because we've been working on Europa for fucking ever. And again, I love this book. It's just more like, like, oh my God, we're almost done. <laughs> you know, like I'm so ready to move on to the next uh, uh segment of it. Um you mean Airbus? Erebus, yeah. See, I'm getting tired.
0: You're fine. I
1: I think... I mean, we'll just do the shorts and stuff. Talk to me about the five chapters. What see, are the I five actually, chapters?
0: I can actually pull that up. Just a second. Right. Tell me what that is. We go to
1: Frontier Wars,
0: Titan Gambit. Um, I think this is it. You can find out how many... Of- Oh, apparently I have part of 10 chapters written.
1: So you have 10 chapters. I've got
0: nine time. chapters completed and then like five chapters of a tenth.
1: Why do you fizzle out at nine chapters?
0: Because <laughs> I just get bored.
1: Okay. It usually takes me about a week,
0: a couple of weeks to write that many chapters. And then at that point, I've just moved on to the next
1: idea. But if you have, I have about, about a two week right attention span. But if you have a writing partner to keep you going, okay. Yeah. Well, here's what we're going to do. I also haven't signed a contract to get it back to you yet. I need to do that. I haven't done mm-hmm. it. I'm sorry. Um, I'm wagging my finger at you.
0: The listeners can't see this, but I am doing it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: What is this book called? This one is tentatively called The Titan Game.
1: And where does it take place in relation to the first two?
0: This one takes place. It starts in 2389, which is about 35 years after Erebus. Okay. And again, it's said it's the way I would describe it it's set in the same universe and it will eventually have some character overlap, but it basically is its own story because this is, this is like, right, when I say the main story, the reason I say that is this is the story that I have the most traction, with, that I have the most, not traction, what is it, the most history with. Because when Sp- before Spacer Saga had all these other offshoot stories, like things like the Airbus Effect and the Europa Goodbye and Alphas, as you've heard about, and we think we've talked about here, all these other things, it was just this story. It was just the story of these three main characters and their associated friends, and then they're like the rogues gallery, so to speak, Fighting over, fighting over who's going to run the solar system. Or again, back in the day, it was multiple solar systems. It was a interstellar thing, but that's basically the gist of it.
1: So that's our book after Europa. Yes. That's what we do because I'd like to, I, yeah. Um, unless we become wildly successful and make a bajillion dollars doing this, I would love to get to that. That seems like that's the most important book to you. Mm hmm. And so, you know, um, I mean, hell, would you want to do that instead of Europa next?
0: I'll have, I'll have to see which one I feel more, I don't know.
1: We can just rewrite the contract.
0: We can see, off have to see because, you know, that might not might not be a bad idea, because because again, it, this is the story that let's like like I I don't want to say that Airbus isn't going to sell the the spacer saga, but Airbus is like it's like a again I don't want to I don't want to downplay Airbus because of all the love and TLC we've put into it, but this but the the frontier wars story, which is what this which is what this what, what this series would be called, um, this like sub series, it's the bread it's the bread and potatoes of okay. the Space Saga universe. Because like it has a follow-up series it's set like you know 60 years later, it's got a the series whatever. it's it it basically what everything centers on. Because the Frontier Wars is one again, one that I've been playing with the longest, one that I have the most lore built for, um the most characters built for. I could send you the Bible for the series that had like the series Bible that I wrote.
1: Yeah. If
0: you want to look at what the series like would be like in its long term
1: I no but that's just because I'm not interested in a series yeah I'm interested in a book gotcha if this is the I mean if this is your like wrath of Khan, dude like
0: well again I don't want to I want to I make I want to caution you oh hello yeah <laughs> i want to caution you that and again i don't say this to, like trying to be difficult by any means but i want to caution you that this isn't like something that i threw out there as a one-off because the titan gambit being the first book in the frontier wars series that's kind of what it is because it's not like you know wrath of khan is an amazing movie i just why we re- i watched someone watch it for the first time the other day on, on youtube
1: um, yeah it's wonderful
0: still holds up and it's and it holds up as a great sci-fi movie and a great movie in addition to being a great star trek movie but it also fits into the star wars continuum and not star trek it also fits into the star trek continuum just cut that out that's a flow it fits into the star trek continuum because after star trek 2 comes star trek 3 and as much as people may like to dish to diss on star trek 3 it has its place in the continuum and then sort of Star Trek four and five and six and so on.
1: But what I'm saying is. I. I think we should do that book next. Is there any reason we shouldn't?
0: Nah. Because, because you know me, I will probably continue to dabble away at Europa goodbye when like if like if we're like an editorial pause like if you're working on your if you're working on your edits for example of yeah titan gambit i could probably work on the Europa goodbye if i have a spare afternoon where i like have a really good idea for the Europa goodbye i could write a chapter you know yeah. that's the beauty of having creative control is you can basically work on the project when it when, when the path when the inspiration strikes and still have the main goal, which is again, the book, the book, the book that would be in the contract, which is be we're be we're working on.
1: Because I have the intention and the desire to continue working with you in perpetuity. Yeah, me too. I cannot guarantee that. Yeah. And so while I'm in a part in my life where I can do these things, um, it feels like the Frontier War story, this thing you have ten chapters of already. Mm-hmm. That feels like the absolute most important use of our time. Yeah. And if this is the meat and potatoes, you know, we can always do this and then do Europa and then do another thing you have nine chapters of and then just kind of like bounce around and finish all these unfinished things together. Yeah. But you know, or Let's let pause at a world where we only do two books. Not because we have some fight or falling out, but because you get hired on at NASA full-time. I become a dad. Yeah. You know, and then we only have time for the podcast or something. Mm-hmm. We, whatever. You know, I will have, I don't want to do 12 books and then the main stuff.
0: Yeah. I get what you mean, and I and I I, I really gel with that because that that makes sense to me too. And that the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. It's kind of because that's too at the risk of I won't say at the risk of I'm. That's another thing that I kind of have always found funny about our relationship is one thing we have in common is that you know we both have the same reaction to an idea. First, we reject it. Then we play with it. Then we think about it. Then we then we entertain it and think it was a good idea from the start.
1: It was my idea the whole time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I don't. No. So I. So when you
0: say let's do this book, the one that I'm currently looking at the Google Doc for right now, and let's do this book next, I first was like, because hmm, I won't because I had it set in my mind that we're going to do Europa Goodbye next. But now the more I think about it, the more I think, oh, this is a damn good idea. Why didn't I think of that?
1: yeah I mean, and I'm not saying we're gonna do all of the frontier wars things mm-hmm. because as your publisher, I'm saying, Hey, what's the closest to being done? Yeah, we're going to do the things that are the closest to being done. Yeah. and then <laughs> like, and if any of those it it it's kind of like we're throwing different you know in in and, and if any of those gel with like people pick up steam traction, whatever probably the direction we'll move in yep. you know um
0: because the obviously and again this is this is sort of counting our chickens before they hatch. this is counting our eggs before they're even laid really but you know yeah. if any of this stuff ever really takes off then it might preclude the need for us to have day jobs we could do this stuff for full time you know There's you could it. have your books we you could have your bookstore and i could go to hollywood or something or, or whatever um, again, that's all pipe dreams right now, but the sky is really the limit.
1: Sky is the limit. And you know, and I'll cut this part out. If I do win the billion dollars, well, guess who's going to self-finance some projects? Yeah. And yeah. I'll just like hire you on as like the full-time, you know, you just write full-time.
0: Yeah. That'd be the dream.
1: That'd be the dream. I would
0: I would live in your basement and like where like like a friggin like house elf loincloth or something right i would time.
1: i would buy the house next door <laughs> <laughs> good idea like, a, fuck, like half a billion dollars that's that's infinite money like i could i could i could disassemble every piece of this house and reassemble it identically with brand new pieces and no. still have infinite money. <laughs> it would be such a waste of resources. But anyway, sir. God, that's almost enough for a whole second episode just on that. Just the tag. So that's part of what that'll be.
0: Yeah.
1: Um yeah. No, we'll we'll do we'll do um the frontier wars next. You said yeah, you've got I mean, ten chapters.
0: Yeah, I've got Nine and change, and if nothing else, I also like I said I have a plan laid out because in the course of doing a series Bible, because this is one of those things that I originally I originally perceived this as being a series of books. Mm-hmm. That I would then hope to turn into a TV series someday, sort of like Babylon Fire, some some of the planned runtime, you know, a planned number of seasons. Yeah, but in the in the course of doing a series Bible, I inadvertently also very handily made a you know um outline for the first book basically mm. and could probably write the first book based on the outline for the first season of the TV show um okay so yeah i i basically have a, a, a vision a, you know a a plan and vision for what i could do for the next however many chapters cuz i am going to say this one might be a little bit longer than Erebus, you know it might be a little bit longer than the uh, 18 chapters okay but it's just this because I know that I know that we've talked about how long my writing is. This might be a little bit longer even than usual for me because it might have some more ground to cover.
1: Um do you feel like you'll be more protective of this than you were a therapist?
0: Probably not. And the reason I say that is because now I've, if anything, it really helped working with you on Erebus first Mm -hmm. because I'm not as because I'm not as naturally protective about Erebus because it's not characters that I'm so inculcated with or Mm -hmm. or whatever friggin better word there would be to put there um feel free to edit a good word there um a good good, good verb nice nice action verb um but I think having had that experience of working with you on Erebus I realized oh Derwin's not going to like do anything cheap. He's not going to cheat me on the on my characters. He's not going to just like you know take cheap shots at them. He's my buddy, yeah. you know? and beyond being my friend, he's a good pub. He's a good publisher and editor. He wants to make this work the best it can be. So don't worry about killing some darlings. Don't worry about doing this and that. Because if anything, the place I'll be the place I'll be protective is when I have to like refer back to the Bible and say, "Well, here's what's going to happen down the road that you may not know about." So, that like, if you say, "Well, why don't we just kill this character? Why don't we combine these two characters?" I might have to refer to the to the Urtext and say, "Well, here's why, Derwin, because this character comes into play like in you know volume six or something, and I'm would, setting up for that." I would. And and again, part of the beauty of that is we may come to a place where we realize that if we do the thing that you're saying, or some version of the thing that you're saying, it sets up something better in volume six that's the beauty of working together it's not being a stick in the mud it's realizing that there's compromises we can make
1: yeah and and i'm you know i mean for me volume six is so entirely hypothetical it's it's you know it's it's about as realistic as me winning the lottery you know at this point in time um so yeah i mean for me i've, I've always been I mean the fact that we even published Spacier's Book 1 mm-hmm. I think is kind of a fucking miracle especially since it was mid pandemic and we were all stressed out insane crazy people and you know and 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 none of us handled anything well and the fact that it even all came together right is a fucking miracle